Okay, so we talked about diverse support specifically. So let's take a look at an article that um, Ada Chavez wrote. And this is part of why Bernie Sanders won here. And by a huge, huge amount, young Latinos delivered Nevada to Tio Bernie. So on Saturday, caucus goers began gathering around 10 a.m. at the Desert Pines High School in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm not going to read this whole thing to you, um, just give you an, an idea. She, you know, she's setting the scene, of course. Um, do, do, do. Let's see here. None of the caucuses were very crowded. A precinct chair guessed that was due to the heavy rainstorm. And that's one of the things about caucuses in general is not only do people have to be present at a very specific time. So they opened the doors at 10 or people started lining up at 10. The caucuses were at noon. This is the first year they actually had early voting, which enfranchised more voters because people were able to vote um, separately from this time, which I think is another big reason why Bernie won, because people were actually able to vote early. People who had to work on Saturday were able to vote this time. And now we have in this report, it's talking about the fact that it was raining. It was a heavy rainstorm. Jamal and I went and got umbrellas and rain gear because <laughs> we were planning to interview people outside. So that makes it difficult for a lot of people to caucus. And it makes it like there's less of an incentive to get out there when it's really bad weather. So anyway, the, the turnout was was pretty good. The turnout was much better than it was in um, in 2016 because only 86,000 people uh, caucused in total in 2016. We actually had 75,000 votes uh, coming early in Nevada, which really, really helped out with, with turnout. And I think that's part of the reason, again, why Bernie Sanders won. So Nevada is, is very diverse, as we said. And Bernie Sanders' campaign really, really focused on, on mobilizing Latino voters, as Ada says here. Um, so Latino voters comp comprise nearly 30% of the state's population. And he had the greatest, so in the polls leading up to the caucuses, Sanders not only had an overall lead, but he was also the candidate with the greatest share of Latino support at 33%. While Sanders' polling numbers had remained consistent since the summer, he benefited from a slip by Biden, who was leading among Latino Nevadans at 34% in June, but fell to 22% support this month. In 2016, Sanders received 53% of Latino vote in Nevada. This year, Bernie Sanders redoubled his efforts to win their votes, not only focusing on turnout, but also organizing specifically for the caucuses. These efforts, such as holding trainings in Spanish and providing translation services at the caucuses, appear to have paid off. Uh, let's see here. In his victory speech from San Antonio, Texas, Sanders highlighted the support his campaign got from the group. I want to thank Make the Road and all of the grassroots organizations that helped us win here. Okay, so Sanders' win is also thanks to young Latinos like 19-year-old Christopher Santoyo, who told The Intercept that he's been volunteering for Sanders since he was 15. That's the thing about Bernie, is he gets out those young voters, he energizes even high school age kids. I don't mean to say even high school age kids. Obviously, young people can um, and have always gotten involved in politics, but I don't think on the, this level and not with this kind of enthusiasm that we've seen with young people and Bernie. So Santoyo says, at first they actually didn't like him, but I think based on the fact that I've been so involved in his campaign and I'm directly reaching out to them, telling them to vote, they're supporting Bernie Sanders. He walked some of his family into early voting locations and said he now has elder relatives from coast to coast supporting Sanders. 
When asked whether he thought other young people are convincing their parents to vote Sanders, Santoyo said 100%. I think these ideas are so radical to them, like free college or a Green New Deal, Medicare for all, and then when you actually have a serious conversation as to seeing it through our lens, they really start to change. A lot of them, especially my family specifically, they're Latino, so they listen to Telemundo, Univision, and more corporate media, and they kind of echo those talking points. But when I fight back on it, they're like, oh, wow, you're right, Santoyo said. If you really speak to them, their mind will change. So I think that's really, really interesting, um, just the fact that the Latino vote was so strong for Bernie Sanders. And I interviewed... Uh, Latino voters yesterday who and volunteers who were talking about this. And the fact is that Bernie Sanders' policies support people of color. His policies support working class people. And a lot of these voters are, are union members. A lot of them are the culinary uh, workers union, you know, the one where the leaders smeared Bernie Sanders. So he won dramatically among Latino voters. He really turned out the youth. And as you, you heard from the young man in Santoyo, um, people are spreading the word to their elder family members as well. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing, that's part of what I had mentioned of like the, where people don't understand the support for Sanders. Like how often are you going to hear like, oh yeah, no, I, I, this young kid convinced his uh, mom, he sat his mom down and convinced her to vote for Pete because she, she, she was like, oh, uh, it's very important that we have a choice whether we want to be paying a lot of money for, for health care or not. Like, there's nothing inspiring about that. There's no, no one's really actively going and campaigning. Well, I'm sure people are, but on a percentage scale, uh, you know, going and getting their family members to, like, go out for Joe Biden and stuff like that, whereas Bernie's has, like, his supporters are the hybrid of like supporters and essentially activists of trying to get other people into the fold and caring about these issues like that's how I got involved into like politics and stuff was partially because of Bernie of being realizing oh this is actually something that you can be part of and, and affect actual change in a sort of world where everyone is actively pushing against anything changing going forward. Yeah, 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 of course. So Harry Reid, if you followed our reporting before, is is they consider him the kingmaker in Nevada. So former Senator Harry Reid is is the guy. <laughs> He's the, the guy that kind of pulls all the puppet strings all around Las Vegas, especially Nevada. And he was not on record before saying that he wanted to abolish caucuses. But he was hinting at it, I think, because, in my opinion, it looks like it was because Bernie Sanders then was projected to win. But now that Bernie Sanders has actually won, he's coming out strongly against caucuses. And hmm, I wonder why that is. And by the way, this guy was instrumental. He is the reason why we have a caucus in Nevada that is third in the nation. So... The, for him to switch on this, to flip on this, is a pretty big deal. So Harry Reid says all caucuses should be a thing of the past. All right, Mr. Kingmaker Harry Reid, let's see what you say. Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader who remains the functional head of Nevada Democrats, said Sunday that caucuses should no longer be used to nominate candidates for President of the United States. Hmm. Okay. Our Democratic Party did a good job, Mr. Reid said. All caucuses should be a thing of the past. They don't work for a multitude of reasons. Well, uh, Harry Reid, 
why have you come to this conclusion now? It's not like you didn't know what a caucus was before, since you were instrumental in creating them here in Nevada. Wonder why you have this change of heart. Mr. Reed's call to end caucuses adds to growing momentum around the push for Democrats to shift their presidential nominating contests from caucuses to primaries. Um, and they talk about it following the fiasco in Iowa. And this is important to note, after 2016, when Senator Bernie Sanders and his allies claimed he was cheated out of a caucus victory in Iowa because of irregularities in the reporting process, the Democratic National Committee incentivized caucus states to shift to primaries. Only Iowa, Nevada, North Dakota, and Wyoming, along with three territories, are still holding caucuses in 2020. Still, Mr. Reed's call to end caucuses is a remarkable statement from the man who is single-handedly responsible for Nevada's caucuses occupying the third slot on the Democrats' presidential nominating calendar. He engineered Nevada's shift to earlier in the calendar, just behind Iowa and New Hampshire, for the 2008 presidential cycle. Nevada has since become ensconced with those two states in South Carolina at the beginning of both parties' nominating process. The Nevada Democrats have been slow to count and report caucus results, partly thanks to new DNC rules that require caucus states to report not just the number of delegates won by each candidate, but also the raw number of supporters for each candidate. And that's an important point as well. Bernie and others fought so that we would have the popular vote released for caucuses. If we didn't have that, then we might not have known how big of a debacle Iowa actually was. So thank goodness that we do have those results now. Um, Pete Buttigieg, and we'll get more into this for sure, Pete Buttigieg's campaign on Sunday cited irregularities in the results that have been reported by Nevada Democrats and called on the state party to release a raft of new data. Nevada Democrats have in the past sought to shift from a presidential caucus to a primary, um, on and on. And again, I'll try to link to all of these articles for you. So I think, uh, I mean, I've said pretty much I, all, I, all of my thoughts on this so far. I think it's pretty transparent why Harry Reid wants to end caucuses. And I have to say, I don't disagree. It's, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not getting on Harry Reid's case about this because I disagree. I absolutely agree. I don't think caucuses are good. I think the process is very interesting and I can see some positive things. You know, the, the energy is there, the excitement is there. Uh, people can talk about policy in real time. They actually had, as you saw yesterday, um, some breaking news from Jordan that I will talk about in just one second. Um, we, we saw that, that people give impassioned pleas. They have one minute to give a shout out to their candidate and talk about policies and things like that and try to convince caucus goers to come over to their side. But for the reasons that we talked about, it was raining. That had to have affected turnout. People have to take off work. People have to find childcare. People have to have transportation at a very specific time. So I think that with the early voting this year, that was much more um, small d democratic. And I overall, though, I, I just think caucuses have to go. Um, so I agree with you, Harry Reid. I just think you have very specific and different <laughs> reasons for your thoughts on this. Well, and I think the reason it's coming up now it isn't because he, like, he saw the caucus uh, and was like, hey, I, I don't think this is democratic or whatever. I think it was the reason that they kept the caucuses and he, also he didn't say anything post-Iowa and wait till after Nevada uh, to say anything or leading up to Nevada potentially mm -hmm. was because they realized after Iowa with uh, 
not only the results of the popular vote, but also uh, Ber- finding out that Bernie actually took all these precautionary steps. They realized, oh, it's we can't do anything to help like shift or rig these caucuses anymore. And that's probably the reason they kept them was for situations like what almost or in some cases did happen in Iowa. And there's probably maybe even something going into Nevada. But once they realized that the huge coalition that Bernie had done to help um, did deter some of that stuff uh now is when they realize okay we can't get away with anything anymore so might as well get rid of it since it heavily helps uh candidates who actually have uh, uh supporters that uh, energize people and stuff which is what caucuses are all about um, let's talk about something that you you may have heard about already but it is so infuriating and absurd and just demented that we absolutely have to cover it you guessed it. I'm talking about Chris Matthews' insane meltdown on MSNBC, among others. He's certainly not the only one who has been melting down <laughs> in this corporate establishment media, but he's been the worst. In fact, there are calls for him to resign. Hmm. Okay. So MS, this is a Newsweek, MSN, but it's been all over the place. I mean, all over social media, all everyone's basically covering this because it is so absurd. MSNBC's Chris Matthews faces calls to resign after comparing Sanders' Nevada victory to Nazi Germany's defeat of France. Guys, guys, are you are you hearing me? What I what I just said. MSNBC's Chris Matthews faces calls to resign after comparing Sanders' Nevada victory to Nazi Germany's defeat of France. I just can't. I can't. It is bizarre. Okay. This is by Kalita uh, Rahman. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. MSNBC's Chris Matthews is facing calls to resign after he compared Bernie Sanders' victory in the Nevada caucus to the Nazi invasion of France. Like, what? <laughs> How deranged do you have to be that that is what you say on your news channel? Sanders won the Nevada Democratic caucuses with 47% of the vote, the Associated Press reported. As the results came in and Sanders took an early lead on Saturday night, hardball host Matthews claimed Republicans would release opposition research on Sanders that would kill him if he became the Democratic nominee for president. Not great phrasing there. But Matthew said it was too late to stop him, at one point comparing Sanders' victory over other top Democratic contenders to Hitler's invasion of France. I was reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940 and the general, Renou, um, how do you say that? I don't know. Renou? Renou? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Renaud, maybe. Say. Sorry that I can't pronounce that. <laughs> Calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill says, how can that be? You've got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So Eli Valley posted this. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? You got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this one. Oh my gosh. It's just absolutely absurd. So, of course, his comments sparked a backlash on Twitter, with some critics noting that it was particularly distasteful, as Sanders is Jewish and had lost relatives during the Holocaust. How absolutely sick and depraved do you have to be that you say something like this about who is potentially 
the first going to be the first Jewish president or is in the contest to become the first Jewish president. Yeah, and not only that, is is he, he's just not good at like even outside of that as do, analogy doesn't even work because he's comparing the people choosing something to someone else forcing their will on someone mm-hmm. and also if his analogy was uh, if he went with that analogy then that will ended up not working and the person lost in the end so <laughs> he should like that doesn't even work but yeah. on that front but like the and that's a similar theme I've seen with um I don't know if it's it was them or so, there's been other like references like to Nazi Germany which is so weird that that thread keeps coming up specifically for uh, the first, potentially one of the first Jewish presidents that mm-hmm. this uh, threat of Nazism keeps coming up. It's just such a weird thing that you would think, okay, if we're going to insult him and ignore facts, ignore um, what the people's popular vote and all that is, at least choose analogies and comparisons that aren't insensitive. Like, like I won't say anything, but like there's definitely like things you wouldn't, uh, analogize or anything like that based on uh, you know who you're talking about and stuff like that it's called just being like a nice person <laughs> just at the base level before you go and start doing these crazy things and um and it goes back to his like was chris matthews the one who was afraid of like he would get like killed or was that someone else yeah he was talking about uh, something about red kill being killed in the red square or something like it was yeah. really weird commentary he said a few weird odd things yeah i really honestly it's deranged i there's no other word for it it's it's absolutely hysteria his absolutely hysterical Okay, so let's get back to more of Chris Matthews and this absurdity. This is actually, so this is Parker Malloy, who's the editor-at-large for Media Matters. She said, It is absolutely unacceptable that Matthews is making comparisons between Bernie Sanders, whose family was murdered by Nazis, at Hardball Chris needs to retire immediately. Again, that's Parker Malloy. Reporter Alex Koch added, I'm really, really insulted by a major pundit, pundit, on an allegedly liberal news network comparing a Jewish candidate's overwhelming caucus victory to the French losing a battle with the Nazis. Get this lunatic off the air. Koch also noticed that another MSNBC anchor, Chuck Todd, recently quoted an article on air that compared Sanders supporters to members of Hitler's Nazi militia. Oh, gosh. So that was Chuck Todd, who I was talking about earlier. Um, just now, and I so I misattributed that one to um, Hardball Chris. But, you know, they're all winners there at MSNBC, I guess. <laughs> Not long ago, Chuck Todd read a line from a writer that compared Sanders supporters to Nazi brown shirts, he wrote. Why the F is this tolerated? These deranged maniacs are shaping public opinion. It's really bad. Chris Matthews has been generous to me on a number of occasions, even blurbing my book, filmmaker, um, Aaron Chowdhury wrote, however, his constant references to political violence and total Nazism to describe Bernie Sanders' campaign is beyond the pale. Hardball Chris must resign or be fired from MSNBC. Walker Walker Bragman, friend of the show, a journalist added, at Hardball Chris just compared Bernie Sanders and his movement to Hitler and the Nazis on national television, he wrote. Sanders, who is Jewish and lost family in the Holocaust, is on track to be the nation's first Jewish president. Enough with this. Matthew should not be on the air. 
Krishan Patel added, Chris Matthews just compared Bernie Sanders, a Jewish man whose relatives were killed by the Nazis, to the Nazi army. He should be fired immediately. Sanders communications director Mike Kaska also took to Twitter to respond to Matthews' comment. Never thought any part of my job would be pleading with a national news network to stop likening the campaign of a Jewish presidential candidate whose family was wiped out by the Nazis to the Third Reich, he wrote. But here we are. Um, MSNBC and Sanders' team have been contacted for comment. I, you know, this, we rail on the corporate media all the time. We we're, you know, we're deadly serious about how terrible they are, but we often joke about how terrible they are. And we're completely, completely just opposite. Um, but this is so disgusting, even for corporate media, even for someone like Chris Matthews. This is just, I don't even really know what to say. What is he thinking about? Is this because of Trump derangement syndrome? Is this what's happening to people's political minds, especially these TV reporters? Well, and what does that put in people's heads? It's like there's this fear of uh, when Trump does his things and rallies or whatever and says stuff, people are afraid that he's going to incite stuff and everything like that. Like, what are you putting in people's heads when you, on this major network, go and say, hey, that guy... His supporters, uh, they kind of remind me of Nazis. You guys should uh, keep an eye out for that. That That's a extremely dangerous thing to put out into the public uh, sphere when, whether or not you are, you're portrayed as someone who is, uh, you know, someone to be trusted, who you should uh, take their word for on certain things, perhaps, and all that. So I think that's just, like, a dangerous thing to say outside of being also insensitive and, like, just an insane like <laughs> phrasing and all that. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. I'm just, it really turns my stomach. This is, I do agree with the calls for Chris Matthews to mm. resign or be fired. This is not okay. You know, everybody gets heated and has opinions in politics, but it is not okay at all. Yeah, just, and it's not like we're, people are like trying to get him to resign. So like, oh, we can get that moderate voice out like obviously if he resigned they're going to replace with someone similar but like there's there has to be at least some line if there's not a line then like what what are people at some point cnn is just becoming fox news at that point well i guess you could argue they're they're pretty much there but <laughs> as far as there i still think that there's a little bit of a difference in that fox news can often like almost be insightful in some of the things that they say or even don't say and uh this is, is starting to get into that area as well. So as I was saying, there are some people who who have some guts, who are who are willing to say the truth and who are willing to speak the truth, even though it could cost them opportunity. So this, and I again, I don't want to mispronounce, but I probably will. This is Anand Guridharadas, and he is Time editor at large, um, also an author. So he was on with Joy Reid earlier, and in his tweet uh, while posting this clip, he said, this is a wake-up moment for the American power establishment. Many in this elite are behaving like aristocrats in a dying regime, including in media. It's time for many to step up, rethink, and understand the dawn of what may be a new era in America. So let's, let's listen to what Anand had to say. Last night was a historic win that I think a lot of us 
are still struggling to understand. It, it's not historic only because Bernie Sanders is now decisively proving that he can win in milk-white America and in the emerging superpower of color that we are becoming. Something is happening in America right now that actually does not fit our mental models. It certainly doesn't fit the mental models of a lot of people on TV. It doesn't fit the mental models of a lot of people in the parties. It doesn't fit our cultural mental models. You have someone talking about, in a way we have not heard, genuine, deeper democracy, popular movements, um, human equality in a meaningful way, and, and a politics of love in the tradition of Dr. King, and winning elections in America, the United States of America. And I just have to say, and I, I've been, I've been um, encouraged watching you on air talk about your own rethinking of things, which I think we all have to do to be in this work. I think this is a wake-up moment for the American power establishment. From Michael Bloomberg to those of us in the media, to the Democratic Party, to donors, to CEOs, many in this establishment are behaving, in my view, as, as they face the prospect of a Bernie Sanders nomination, like out-of-touch aristocrats in a dying aristocracy. Just sort of, how do we stop this? How do we block this? And there is no curiosity. Why is this happening? What is going on in the yeah. lives of my fellow citizens in this country? They may be voting for something that I find it so hard to understand. What is happening? What is happening? This is a moment for curiosity in America. I think yeah. about this network, which I love, which you love. And I think we have to look within also, why is a lobbyist for Uber and Mark Zuckerberg on the air many nights explaining a political revolution to us. Why is Chris Matthews on this air talking about the victory of Bernie Sanders who had Kin yeah. murdered in the Holocaust and analogizing it to the Nazi conquest of France? The people who are stuck in an old way of thinking in 20th century frameworks in gulag thinking are missing what is going on. It is time for all of us to step up, rethink, and understand the dawn of what may be, frankly, a new era in American life. I just want to clap and cheer and scream it from the top of this building. Bravo, Anand. You, that took guts, that took bravery. He called out what is happening on MSNBC. He spoke truth. He talked about the fact that the establishment needs to wake up to what is actually going on in this country. What did you think about that clip? That was really good. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. Um, uh, I don't know who that was, but I, I really liked him because he, he actually was really well-spoken and uh, was good at conveying ideas that I have trouble with. <laughs> but um, uh, the fact that, like, I, I don't know, he, he mentioned something about uh, Joy Reid coming to terms with some of that. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Yeah, so we'll, do, we'll play that next. Too, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but it was really refreshing to see him not he like he covered several points not just uh he covered msnbc how they just bring on rich people to tell us how uh, all these poor people are, are wrong though uh um uh, he pointed out how we have billionaires running away he pointed out how uh just the establishment including the media he's on is uh needs to either essentially he's hinting at they need to wake up where they're about to go away essentially which is yeah. uh what's happening so that was just that was very refreshing to hear that all nice nicely encapsulated in there yeah absolutely great great clip follow follow him on twitter for sure um he needs you know support for having stood up against the network that was having him on just <laughs> took a lot of guts said really amazing things great stuff yeah so let's let's actually give some kudos to joy reed let's go see what she had to say oh boy 
So Owen Higgins, who I think he, yeah, he writes for Common Dreams, I think. Yeah, Common Dreams. Um, making sure I switch that. So he said, he tweeted, Joy Reid as the first domino to fall was not on my spreadsheet. Well, you know, and I don't know who the lobbyist is, but I will defend my friend Chris Matthews that I, I don't think that he was trying to make it a, a, a sort of, you know, anti-Jewish sort of, uh, you know, disparagement of Mr. Sanders. I think that what, what Chris, who I've known for a long time, I think what he's speaking to is that there is like a cultural revulsion to the idea of socialism among people of Chris's generation. You know, I hear it a lot. And, and it's interesting yes. to me that for a lot of people, it's reflexive. It's, it's you know, yes. they grew up with the anti-USSR, you know, conditioning of this country post-World War II. That is who we were, always were, even myself as a Gen Xer. We grew up doing the drills. I grew up in Colorado where we were 50 feet from ground zero until we will be nuked if Russia, you know, bombed us. So I think there, and there, and you know, you know that in America, people merge communism and socialism into sort of one big bad other. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, you know, go there with, with Chris. Um, but I will say this. I think that one of the biggest tricks, one of the greatest tricks ever pulled on the world is for really rich people to convince the world that just being really rich made you superior to other people and yes. got everyone to buy it, right? Yes. They got poor people to buy it. You know, Donald Trump is only known because people thought he was rich. They weren't even sure he was rich. He didn't even confirm he was rich. But all he had to do was seem rich. I was growing up, people eagerly watched other rich people just live their lives in their homes and thought that was yes. amazing. We have real housewives and we watch people we perceive as rich walking around. Rich people have managed to do that. And while we're all watching them entertain us, they are taking the courts. Yes. They are ta taken Citizens United. They've taken our politics. They've taken this country. Donald Trump isn't out there helping working class people. He's making them broke while they are worshiping rich people who are getting rich. And so Correct. it is a trick. And I wonder if you think that maybe the Bloomberg on the one end of the spectrum and Bernie on the other is a sign that the spell is broken. That maybe people are like, hold on a second. Rich people aren't giving me anything. Yes. You know, you know and then I, even I'll Donald Trump saying, I'll I, give you racism. I'll give you racism. It isn't working anymore. I'll I, that's, that's so well put. I, I will Wow. <laughs> I never, just as Owen uh, Higgins said, I never expected Joy Reid to actually speak in that way. I mean, Joy Reid has, has me blocked on, on Twitter because she... <laughs> has previously not liked like facts but i have to give her kudos in this moment maybe she is waking up i think jordan would probably say that i'm being naive but it, it makes me happy like we saw with peter dow he was a total centrist and he started to kind of wake up to the truth about what's happening in this country and what joy reed was just speaking on or Joy Ann Reed, I don't know what she prefers, but uh, what she was just speaking on is the fact that the rich people of this country have us all fooled. Um, income inequality is, is one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders has seen such a, a surge and why he's doing so well. He's for the working class. People are waking up to that. And apparently even people like Joy Reed are waking up to that. Yeah, and I, it's, uh, well, with the exception of the little bit at the beginning with Chris Matthews, that was because uh, I feel like that's an irrelevant point. But um, that was like it. Like if you had told me, it get, given that uh, what she just said, and like give it to me, I'd be like, "Oh, that's a really good." Who said that? And if you said Joy Reid, I've been like, 
no. Right. Like, like, no, you're, no, she wouldn't say that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, it'd be interesting if we had, like, P- Peter Dow's, like, perfect example, like, that sort of epiphany moment maybe with her. I, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but it seems like she could be headed that way of, like, whether it's from an event, maybe, maybe she actually stepped outside of the studio for a little bit mm-hmm. and would talk to people and was like, oh, okay, I had this all wrong. Uh, and the fact that she pointed out, which this never gets pointed out, this is crazy. Um, uh, I forget the word now, but uh, comparing like socialism and communism are usually like intertwined, even mm-hmm. though they're like not not similar at all in, mm-hmm. in many regards. Uh, and when socialism is talked about, we they have no context of which to talk about it, especially democratic socialism. So the fact that whenever that's brought up on air is always exciting, but the fact that it was specifically brought up by Joy Reid is is was very surprising. 